0: All right, here's the intro jingle that we don't have. Do 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 fields of work fields of work we're going to work time to go to work at fields of work. Welcome to fields of work, a podcast. Start over. Cut. Start over. Cut. Cut. Welcome to Fields of Work, a podcast about brothers and work. And I'm Sam, the oldest brother.
1: And I'm Max, the youngest brother. Hello, Max. Hey, Sam. Long time, man. Long time no talk. Yep, we don't. That's what people don't know about this is we do not talk unless we haven't. We haven't talked since whenever the last episode was November. Was October was November. November. Yeah. How was your Christmas? It's- It was was nice, you know, we didn't, I didn't see you We need to end this bit because it makes me sad. Of course. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Quarantines, (laughs) pandemics, man. Wild, wild things. Um, No, it's actually, I was just gonna say it is crazy how much has changed in how many months ago was that? That was three months ago? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, Three
1: months. Things have, things have changed. Not just in the world. That is also true. In your world. Um, but my world specifically, which is more important for uh, being yes. honest,
0: You're, ah. that when, I, when people talk about the world, they're talking about you and your specific yes. experiences. Max, Max Sperlin's world. Yeah. All right. So, well, let's uh, let's start with a check-in round, which is a thing we like to do. It's a thing I do at work too to start every meeting. It's just a fun way to get people talking and get our brains uh, kind of up and going. So here's here's my check-in round question for us today, Max. What is something about how you were as a teenager that makes
1: you laugh or cringe? Do you want to go first? Or how many no, go? no, I want you to go first. Okay. Well, there's – I mean everyone would say this for themselves. I think there are many. But as a, a person who was self-described you know, described as into fashion and light clothing, mm-hmm. I went through some hor- horrifying stages. Um, really? I can't remember them, but I also have a terrible memory. So bring, 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 you bring us, us in. in. We're going to rapid fire a couple – I've been through many stages. I think now I have a good sense of style, and maybe it's a future topic because it's still a hobby of mine. But back then I was dabbling and learning and, I don't know, (laughs) figuring out what I was into. And for a period there, this is what actually caused me to get into fashion because I got made fun of so much. I didn't care about fashion, and I wore lots and lots of sweatpants and sweatshirts, track jackets, and just – there was a a point there when you were at Bowling Green and I was in like Mm -hmm. sixth grade that I wore the same Bowling Green hoodie – At school, basically every day, Uh, it was brown, which is not a great color, and just a (laughs) a hoodie in general. And I just remember people making comments about it and thinking, "Oh, this is this this hurts," (laughs) (laughs) and this is something I could I could control. So I was like, "I can, you know," and I started reading about. I don't have to look terrible. I don't, don't. you know. This is something people would be nicer if I just I just tried something different. So then I went through some Mm -hmm. crazy phases. I had a preppy phase, where I wore like some plaids and some salmon-colored shorts and some mint-colored shorts mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I had some espadrilles that <laughs> I kind of went into like a fancy What is an espadrille? It, I thought that was like a bird. No, nah, an espadrille is a type of um, shoe that's like canvassy with a mm-hmm. like a, a – not, not cork, like a jute-looking sole basically. They're very Spanish. I thought jute uh, was um, a straw. It is, but – but jute like yeah, you could but it's, it's uh, like I get what you're saying. Rope. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, okay. And that was kind of around the bottom part. I think it actually has a rubber sole with like a jute and the accent was jute and then your canvas. They they're basically like summer shoes. Um This podcast had- is perilously close to just becoming me learning new words. <laughs> it's, it's how about how far it <laughs> goes too when we start talking about planets. Um if anyone wants to go back and listen to the very first episode <laughs> of this show ever, Sam learned some stuff. Um <laughs> Yeah. But anyways, I had that fashion phase uh, and then it slowly got better over time uh, in high school when I had to dress up for hockey games. I got really into like thrifting because our, our mother is a phenomenal seamstress and tailor, and I would mm-hmm. buy dress clothes from a thrift store and she would make them fit much nicer. And so I had a really fancy stage for a while. But the one thing I will add that is cringy that I think back on and see pictures of is freshman year of high school. I inspired by our brother Louie. I started a faux hawk, and I had myself a little faux hawk <laughs> for a while. Um, you know, freshman year, trying to figure it out. Wait, and what then, year would freshman year have been for you? What, it what would have been 2010.
0: Um, all right, so I would have been a year removed from also
1: having a faux hawk. You had a faux hawk? In college for a little bit. Oh, man. Yeah, it was... <laughs> it, was it was. So what happened was, faux hawk itself was like totally okay. It was of the time. It was a look. And then... I just I didn't maintain the length of a faux and it quickly became like closer to a, a mohawk and got very long, um, and there's some pictures from from freshman year like homecoming and stuff where I had a um, an embarrassing haircut. So, so those are the ones. That I think back. Yeah, and here's right. the thing too, because you didn't have. As much Facebook going on when you were in high school, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of pictures that exist online of what you looked like in in maybe freshman year of high school. Our family family has pictures of your your rough middle school days, but they don't exist. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. What rough middle school days? I peaked in middle school, man. No, you peaked in physical stature. It doesn't mean <laughs> that you know visually you're your most handsome. I think you're. I? You're Am sorry, I wait,
0: Matt, 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 you you've just opened a, a, an avenue of conversation that I'd love to go down for a moment.
1: <laughs> what? Uh, when? When have I been at my most handsome? I was going to tell you. I think that's. I think right now. Right I now. I think current Sam Sperlin is, is peak handsome. Ooh. That's um, right.
0: Just getting better
1: better? No, I think mm-hmm. when you you know you start growing out the beard now you now you do the weird thing you go back and forth with the stash and it works mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. and you you do different things with your hair every time I see you sometimes it's long sometimes it's short I think your hair grows incredibly fast or something mm-hmm. uh, sometimes there's a bandana holding it all back mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah I never know what to expect next time I see right. you so <laughs> I would say and this is not me just being nice I think you I think you know middle school was not your best but I think <laughs> right. current Sam Sperlin is a handsome Sam Sperlin. thank you can I tell you about the thing that
0: I in my teenage um, it also involves clothes, and uh, I had this. I had this look. I had my go-to outfit in high
1: school. I know it. I, know it, I think it was the Cohen Cambria shirt. Wore no, a
0: lot. no. But <laughs> now I'm realizing you'd want to keep talking and keep talking about that. I thought that shirt was amazing, and now you're saying that it's nope. bad.
1: I just wore it a lot. Anything that's okay. worn too much can be a bad look. That's
0: that's fine. I I look great in that shirt. Um, my my bad look was um, we'll, we'll go from well, from feet to top. So. Feet, white Crocs, but they were very dirty, so like pretty nasty. In high school, oh yeah, was that was that like a thing though? Were people wearing Crocs? I, I mean, I was. So I got some. So I actually, and I think they were off-brand Crocs. In fact, I'm almost positive they were off-brand Crocs. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had those on my uh, on my and then I was wearing uh, green athletic shorts. Pretty sure they were Adidas, Um, but they weren't like mesh. They were like I don't know, like really nylon-y sort of like kind of knee length athletic shorts. What uh, color would you say? Uh, I would say um a bright green. Okay, pretty you bright.
1: Still, yeah, continue. not
0: like a forest green. Like like you, a, describe,
1: you sound like Yoshi right now, or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> uh, the shirt was a button up blue shirt.
1: <gasps> that oh, I like, would, a, like a Oxford cloth button down. Like basically,
0: little, yeah, but it was oh. like a lighter fabric. Um, And then I would complete that look um, you know, maybe with a puka shell necklace. Uh, That was pretty common for me at the time. Um, And then sometimes a backwards yellow um, Georgia Tech hat because it had the yellow jacket on it. And that's – our our logo was a a yellow jacket in
1: high school. And that's what I would just wear and I thought I looked real fly all the time. And just a little context around this. Your hair is what length at this point? Oh, very long. Okay. And are you – are you driving the white Oldsmobile? Uh, the you mean the K car,
0: yeah, Reliant? Sorry. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, hey, I am driving that car, and were, yes, I am the coolest guy. You know. Yeah, you were super cool, man. Did I ever tell you the story about how those sh- how those shorts were became no more? <laughs> no, I tore <laughs> oh, them off my tell. own body inadvertently.
1: You tore them off your own body?
0: Yeah, inadvertently. It's
1: like a, a show of strength. No, or just no. Or- oh, okay,
0: I was at I was up at the track in the summer. Doing sprints, mm-hmm. working on my bod. You, know, you ran off. right out
1: of your shorts. <laughs> Basically,
0: I uh, if you can picture picture the mm-hmm. the, the uh, motion of like running really hard and like what your arms are doing, yeah. and what catches pocket what your hands are doing, and yeah. I caught my left thumb in my pocket, and the motion of running fast literally tore the shorts off my body, and they were in my hand. Completely, and I was standing there in my boxers.
1: So you ripped them entirely off. All ripped away.
0: them entirely off my body. Did you? And, I, and I, like, I walked home, like, holding them together with one hand. Did um, you
1: perhaps hear the, hear the short scream? I'm free.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> I like but I do remember. Being, like, simultaneously kind of, like, mortified, obviously, because I just tore my shorts off my body. But also laughing really hard because it was the most absurd thing. And also being really sad because those were my favorite shorts. Oh, sure. And they don't make green shorts like those anymore, you know? They do not. I've never (laughs) found them again. Anyway, I feel pretty checked
1: in. Do you feel pretty checked in? I do, too. I think this is actually... We actually just geared ourselves up for our second podcast, which is going to be a fashion podcast. I think it it probably should be. We've got material.
0: Yep. All right, so... This is our 37th episode, it's which is cool, wild, right? Yeah, we did our yeah. first one in June 2019. And I'll just say it. Those episodes are great. You should go back and listen to episodes one uh,
1: through 36. Yeah, um, yeah. I feel like the podcast hasn't really changed that much. I mean, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, ju- I was
0: just getting thing. ready to try to like rattle off some of our greatest hits, but I, I don't yeah. actually have things off the top of my head. Uh, I just, can yeah. you can
1: you think of anything that we you know kind of our biggest our big moments uh, from episodes one through thirty six? See, I we're learning that we both have terrible memories, and I'm sure if I went back and read some summaries, I mean, we had some good discussions about. Um, I mean, for me, I just remember a lot of like actually combining your workflow stuff with farming, and we had some interesting discussions, kind of bringing those two worlds together, which we'll talk more about when we introduce kind of what yeah. we are each doing. Um, I remember myself saying ocean food in the first episode instead of seafood. <laughs> i was gonna say I'm looking and... I'm
0: looking at our list of episodes right now and I was just about to say episode one is called ocean food because that's that what was you me. called seafood.
1: Yeah. Well hey, I was just so nervous being you know being recorded and fifteen I had to cucumber the touches. See that's a good episode. That's actually that was talking about I I still refer to that one sometimes when I talk about lean farming, which is a concept that I'm gonna get way more into at this farm um, which we can definitely dive into in the future, but lean farming is all about you know touching things as few times as possible, and that yep. was me describing one of the farms I was at where we would periodically do what felt like fifteen cucumber touches. Scabby noggin, episode eleven, a lot of lamb talk. Lot a lot of, of lamb talk. That's oh, what it episode was. episode <laughs>
0: twelve was
1: followed up uh, followed up scabby noggin with pinned between lambs. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. This is the, so the one thing I don't currently have at this farm are any lambs or pigs, but. Um, I'll have plenty of stories. There's already going to be some new corners I can already tell you. So great,
0: cool. Well, I was just bringing all that up to say we are considering this episode one of season three. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you don't have to know anything about us or anything we did in episodes one through thirty-six to hop into the podcast right now. This is the one. This is the one that you send your friends when you're like trying to convince them to listen to this to this show. And you're not really sure, like, ah? Oh, do you tell someone to go back to like June of 2019 and start from the beginning? Don't worry about that. You tell, yeah. you send them whatever we end up calling this one, episode 37, season three, episode one. We're starting fresh right here.
1: Mm-hmm. How's that no make inside feel, jokes. Max? I'm, I'm good with that. I feel here's the thing. I think this really, personally, mimics where I'm at in my life, and it feels like this is a good fresh start. So I feel like the podcast is going right along with it. We which did is a
0: 36 good practice episodes, and mm-hmm. now today. This is when it really begins, and you hit record for this, right? I did hit record for this. There is a non-zero chance that we sound like shit right now because every time we go to record, the settings are different, and we're just doing our best. And you know what? Chance that I yeah. That's yeah. That's that's part of starting over. We're starting over from from our own
1: knowledge of how to do this. Even it's a real authentic experience. Yep. And, uh, and that's the thing, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm half the time I'm recording in a different location. Yep. And so anyways, it's, okay. it'll get better if it's bad. It will.
0: No, it, it, I'm not going to guarantee it gets better. Um, <laughs> it might, but there's no, there's no promises.
1: Yeah. Uh, you're not here because of the audio quality, everybody. Let's be honest. Yeah. You're here for the stories, mm. the banter. I'm, I'm sitting here <laughs> feeling like I kind of wish our audio quality was
0: a lot better now to kind of lift well, us um, up. That's all right. You know, all right, Max. So let's start. Mm-hmm. Let's start with pigs and bunnies, as they say. Uh, what is the? I, I, veg- what is... I work on a vegetable farm, so I'm not, <laughs> oh, not a pig right. farm. Yes. What? Um,
1: what's the premise of this here show?
0: What this is it? Show, why is it
1: called Fields of Work? It's good. It's a it's a fun punny name that you and I came up with mm-hmm. um, in a good brainstorming session back in June of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, that is basically the show is about. Uh, the two careers that we are in, and the idea being that you know, for the most part, they're pretty much polar opposites. I myself, uh, I'm an orga- uh, organic vegetable farmer, uh, and I am an, an inorganic you vegetable farmer. <laughs> Sam's <laughs> all pesticides, <laughs> all fertilizers, big ag all the way. Yeah, totally. <laughs>
0: no, I am. Um, I am an extremely well. Okay, I can give myself a little credit. I'm a. I am a consultant. I work with very large organizations. I don't work for, like, one of the big three consulting firms. In fact, you know, they're kind of our mortal enemies. Mm. Um, That's not true. But, I, uh, yeah, I spend – I'm an indoor boy. I spend a lot of time inside uh, looking at Zoom and doing meetings and other organizational-type things. And you are an outdoor boy, and you spend uh, most of your time with your hands in the dirt – you know, bringing Not, forth yeah. uh, food for the masses. Not even do anything. I just put my hands in the dirt. You, know? <laughs> you just catch spend me, catch to the field. I mean, <laughs> I don't really understand farming that well. So I, you know, you could tell me that there is a reason that you have to sit there with just your hands in the dirt for like twenty minutes mm. a day. I'd believe you.
1: It's conditioning, you know. Yeah. It's really, yeah. you want to get the dirt in in the calluses yeah. in your hands to build up a nice natural sure. layer. <laughs> but so, no, so
0: anyways, yeah, we this, thought this show. We thought it'd be interesting to you know, talk about both of our experiences of work. I already spent a lot of time thinking about the nature of work and attention and why we do the things we do, and because we have such different backgrounds. Oh, and we're also brothers, if that's not clear, and I'm the oldest one and you're the youngest one. There's 10 years between us. We three thought that other- would be, what was that? I said there are three other brothers
1: that are not on the show yes three other brothers
0: that fill out the middle the middle years um Mm. and it would be fun to just talk about work on a weekly ish basis some episodes are more focused on kind of what's going on at the farm and what you're up to some episodes are more uh, focused on what i'm up to and what what i'm doing at, at work and uh yeah that's the basic idea
1: did we do you, and if, think we sold
0: it pretty well? There
1: was that pretty convincing. I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty convincing. I think I mean, it's this, a I decent think, you know, premise for a podcast for like a good, two guys good, talking podcast. It's not the worst premise in the world. No, I'd say it's right up there with all the other ones. What um, yeah. what's any reason someone chooses a two people talking podcast? Hopefully, you kind of like the content, but the whole idea is that it's going to be very conversational. We're not coming in with like occasionally we'll tease an idea of something that's going to come up or that we'll talk about, but yeah. it very rarely is a super Regimented um, podcast, nor is like the title going to tell you, like, oh, this is what they're talking about this week. Yeah. The title's not going to tell you anything. Like <laughs> yeah, that. not so um, much. You know, you don't come here to find out about any type of, you know, we're not a crime podcast. We're not, you're not going to, I mean, learn if stuff it turns in into a crime week.
0: podcast, it's because one of us did a crime and we it, talk about it's it. That's true. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I mean, so uh, it's possible. I, it is possible. I'm not planning
1: on doing any crimes anytime soon, yeah. but. You know. But you you know, I'm not gonna say you're not gonna learn stuff, because I think there's a lot in both of our, our worlds yeah. that I think will just naturally come up. You learn you learned some words earlier, you just learned espadrille. That's right. I did learn <laughs> espadrille, that type of bird. Yep. Uh
0: all right, cool. Well, I mean, since it's, it's since it's episode one, I kind of feel like it makes the most sense to do kind of quick bios on how we each got to where we are today. We've got you know twenty five thirty minutes left in the show. So let's let's, you know, each take a, a decent chunk of time and kind of kind of paint the word picture of who we are and, and what it is that we do. Do you want to go first? Can I can I sure. interview sure. you? Yeah. So All right. you wanna ask questions right up the oh, top? Yeah I'm gonna I'm just gonna dive right in unless you have like an opening statement.
1: I was no, I was gonna <laughs> begin the way I was born july ninety six. Take it way Wait, back. You know the, you know the movie The Jerk? Yeah. yeah, I was born yeah.
0: a yeah. middle class white child. <laughs> yes, you were. Myself, at least, all right. So, I mean, Max, the obvious question here: um, Yes, how'd you get into farming? <laughs> Did we grow up on a farm? Do you come from a rich background of
1: just family farming that um, you just kind of fell into? No, I did not inherit a family farm. I would don't, I'm not really scheduled to inherit a family farm. Um, I wouldn't describe our one-acre piece of property in Michigan as a farm, even though I am now farming a piece of property that is that size, um, which no, is kind of We wild grew up in
0: a very suburban, middle-class, yes. outside-of-Detroit
1: area. Yes, we did. And um, this question has actually been consistently the hardest one for me to answer because I get this question all the time. Well, how, um, how come you haven't figured about, out your answer yet? It's because, I mean, hour. like, there's no – like, I really wish there was a specific, like, moment, you know, uh, right. that, like, k out whatever they call it, like a out that moment where, like, I could be like, this thing happened. Like, yeah. you know, I ate an organic tomato and I was like, yes.
0: This My is- god, <laughs> this tomato. <laughs> I must she do this. Everything. <laughs> That, yeah, Um, I mean, that would be a dramatic story, it'd be weird, and I'd be
1: a little bit concerned about like your mental state. Uh, yeah, so uh, I would describe it, um, basically as I've, I mean, (laughs) or not everyone went into outdoor things, but I feel like we were kind of an outdoor family, like we spent a lot of our time outside, and um, every summer we spent a lot of time visiting our grandparents in Kentucky, and that was a very outdoor, for the most part, unless I it was mean, too we, hot. There, was a,
0: to... Of the brothers, there is a range of outdoor to indoor, and yes. it's not like I would... I don't think it would be accurate to say that we were all outdoors all the time doing outdoorsy things. That's true. Like, we weren't... Yeah. Okay. I think you and, you and Nate are kind of on yes. one end of the continuum, and then me the and Louie and Joey kind of make up the other end of the continuum. Yeah.
1: That's true. So... Anyways, I guess what I would say is that when I was thinking about going to college and stuff and mm-hmm. after high school, I was thinking I want to work outdoors. I want to do something outdoors. I just, I don't think I'm cut out for sitting at a desk. What am I going to go to school for? I found that you know forestry and wildlife ecology management was a degree offered by Michigan Tech. Um, it was in-state tuition for feeling like I was out of state and a very beautiful area. It's like tw- what, 12-hour drive away? It's like, it's like 10, okay. 10 and a half um, they changed the speed limits up there, so it's they <laughs> shorter enough. now. Um, but, so I went to school there, um, did one year of classes, and actually thoroughly enjoyed what I was learning, but um, just had that conversation with myself that was I'm, I'm paying a lot of money to go here, and I wasn't necessarily falling in love with the career paths that I was learning about um, a forestry or wildlife ecology person might take. Um, and so what is the path absurd. I mean not to sidetrack us here but what do I mean, people who get that degree what are they going to do it's a whole I mean you could be a wildfire firefighter um, you well, could not be, a starter that's for sure what's that <laughs> it's oh not my. a wildfire starter <laughs> yeah Anyways, that's a dumb joke. And <laughs> you would, um, Sorry, there's I'll a lot of like, paper companies that would like, have – they do actually like you know, you'll survey a forest and then you sit down and write a report. Which uh, of these trees make good paper? basically like how many of these can we take to keep the you know you're always trying to it's a, a balance of what amount to take to be able to you know not right. totally destroy the ecosystem blah 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 picking the proper trees so there's right. a lot of things where you'd like write a forest management plan after spending a day on site or something and it just it slowly turned out that it was a mostly not always. I'm sure people who have that degree are having – have cool, awesome jobs too. But it seemed like a lot of desk work for something where I was mainly getting into it because I just wanted to work outside. Mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily a tree guy. I wasn't like, woo. Like I've always wanted to, to learn what DBH is and, and – was always and wanted
0: to help. cut down some trees.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so um, anyways, that was after my freshman year, which was the summer of 2015. I, I kind of decided I'm, I'm not going to go back. Um and decided I was, I was not going to go back to school, and I was kind of just not necessarily floundering, but just kind of thinking, like, what I, what do I going to do instead? Um, right. I you know didn't necessarily have the money to, like, go do a gap year kind of thing. I thought about woofing. Um, for those that don't know, that's kind of where you go. And you can travel, and basically someone boards you and gives you food and everything for you to help, usually on their property. It started off as kind of like a, a farm thing. So you would get farm help from somebody, um, and you would feed them and house them and de- not necessarily have to pay them. Um, So I contemplated that for a while, but ended up just kind of thinking like, well, you know, I always really enjoyed gardening at home down in Kentucky. Like there's this movement of like small scale farming going on a little bit. Like mm-hmm. maybe I should just, I, I was working a, a parks and rec outdoor, like landscape kind of thing and was enjoying working outside. So I thought, I'll just go try working on a farm. So I reached out to a farm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, totally out of the blue, like in August, your season's coming to a close, like, kind of coming to an end. Um, and they luckily needed help right then that moment. And so I met with them on like a Friday and came out and started work on Monday. Do you remember Uh, what you did
0: on that first day?
1: What did I do on that first day? I'm trying to think we were, you had to be harvesting maybe. Yeah, it was, it was in August is a lot of harvesting. Um, I remember picking a lot of like beets out in one of the fields. Oh yeah. A lot of carrots. Um, there's a couple like specific moments from that year. Did you year.
0: make any jokes around like
1: dropping beats and like doing techno sounds with your mouth? No, no, I didn't, I didn't want to, mm. um, become that I guess guy, it was your uh, first, first day. day. Yeah. 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 You know, you saved those jokes for That's your next admirable season, restraint. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I do remember digging at potatoes as well, but anyways, so I went and worked from August to November at, on the farm that year and thought like, okay, I kind of actually really enjoyed that. Um, and the year after I decided to come back to that same farm. And so I spent two and a half seasons at that farm, which is Sealy farm in Ann Arbor. And just felt like it was a combination of I'm outside, which I like. Um, the work is very concrete, like very, you see what you're doing, which I always really enjoyed as a job right. where I felt like, you know, I am seeing my progress. This thing's dying. This thing, you know, we're growing this stuff. And then it felt good as well. Not just the organic farming aspect of like, this is the proper way to, I feel to grow food, but also just a matter of like, we're feeding people. It felt like, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, this is, this is good work. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it felt meaningful and still does. And Mm -hmm. so those kind of things drove me to go, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. Um, and you know, for a while I was just treating it like this is just my current job. I'm not sure if I want to make this a career per se. I don't know how one even makes this a career. I'm still learning how somebody makes this into a a long-term career, which will be plenty of topic for the future. But, um, I kind of just, I, st- I stayed in it. Um, right. And, and you didn't, you didn't just around.
0: stay at that farm though. So you had other experiences. Yeah.
1: So while, while at that farm, I enrolled at, a, at Michigan State University in like a nine month, uh, they call it the Organic Farmer Training Program. Um, it's just a certificate based program. It was one day a week, eight hours. Um, so on every Friday, I'd go up to the, the farm in East Lansing. Um, they have a 15 acre organic farm. I was with like a cohort of about 20. Um, We'd do classroom work on farm stuff. We'd visit other farms with the, the goal of the whole program being um, I was surrounded by people that basically wanted to make a living farming um, organically um, in some capacity. So there were people there that were really far away from ever owning a farm. There were people there that owned property. There's people there that were going to inherit family property. Um, a lot of age range. Um, I mean, really split down the gender line. Like it was mm-hmm. a really, really cool group um, where I finally kind of got an idea of like, this can be um, a way to make a living. You can right. you can survive because um, most. I mean, it's not it's as much a lifestyle as it is. Um, you know, you don't get into it necessarily just for the money. But that program kind of taught me. <laughs> right. This is what you, you know. It's not like it's not like you're just becoming like. I'm not trying to poo-poo on engineers or something, but it's not like you know you're going to get paid decently well out of right. college or a thing. There's yeah. going to be some some <laughs> some darker days. Which is fine because usually what offsets that is you really love the work you're doing. It really feels important and you can kind of see how you can get to the point where it will become uh, financially sustainable for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I, I worked at that farm in Ann Arbor. It was my first farm. Um, it was like about 15 acres or so, 10 acres, a lot of tractor stuff. Um, did the, the program while I was there. And then after that program, I went and co-managed a farm in Uh, zealand michigan which is near grand rapids with a buddy of mine who was in the cohort um we ran this six acre farm that was it was the i wish we recorded the podcast during that point because it was the epitome of just like trial by fire like we are jumping into a turnkey operation which means they had an existing csa which was 115 people they went to farmers markets they had a hoop house they had tractors they had all this stuff and we took it over, and we got there. And um, for that season, we were managing all that. And it was incredibly overwhelming. But when I, looking back at it, I, I never actually felt all that stress during it. I don't know if it's because I had Steve to balance some of the stresses on or just mm-hmm. that – I just remember things fondly and just like moving past all the – a lot of the crappy stuff. Tons of stuff died. We had a lot of crazy wind storms. That was the, my first wind incident, um, yeah. which will be a trend those, in my life. I
0: say those long those, uh, longtime listeners know that you have a very fraught relationship with wind.
1: Yes, yes. And that's where it began at that farm. Um, and so I, I just did one season there. I was titled the field manager. Basically, I was in charge of a crew of six. I was in charge of growing and harvesting and doing everything in the fields. Steve handled the business stuff, which was sweet for me personally. Um, and then from there, I every winter I always at the time was moving home to work for UPS or somebody in the season because the season just ends in November usually. Um, and that winter um, I got pulled to the East Coast, to Massachusetts, and I found an awesome one acre, so way smaller than what I had been at. Um, farm to table restaurant farm, basically, uh, growing in a style called market gardening, um, specifically no-till market gardening, um, which we will dive more into later because that's Mm -hmm. what I'm doing at this farm. Um, so I worked there for two seasons, um, with a little spot in the middle where I worked at another no-till farm that was a little bigger. Um, and then just this past fall, I went back to Michigan, um, to kind of recoup and figure out what was, what was next for me and stumbled upon this pretty amazing incredible opportunity here in kingston springs tennessee which is 30 minutes west of nashville um on a big property it's like a a 60 acre actual property but the parcel that has the farming operation on it is about five total acres but under production meant to grow vegetables currently is about like a half acre um and so I'm here as the, the quote-unquote farm manager. Um, I, am, I am the head honcho of vegetable things here. And <laughs> is, that your, is that your your title? Head honcho. <laughs> head That's, honcho of vegetable things. <laughs> head honcho of vegetable things and a couple chickens. And <laughs> um, so that is kind of where I'm at currently. Huh. Um, so a lot of my – all my storytelling from this year and the more we talk about it will be at this, this small farm called West Glow Farm catch me on Instagram, check out all of our pictures (laughs) and (laughs) stuff. And, uh, yeah, so it'll be, it's the first time I've been in a sole management position, Mm -hmm. um, which is scary and exciting at the same time. Um, but we'll give plenty of fodder for the podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's any other questions. That was a very long story. No, I mean, <laughs> I I wanted to just set the uh,
0: set the table in terms of who you are and how you got into uh, this this farming stuff. Uh, are you are you so are you um, you know putting stuff in the ground right now? I am not. <laughs> I, I know you're not because i <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna ask about the Instagram video that I saw today of you knocking snow off of hoop
1: houses. Yeah. So basically, this is. Where I'm farming, this is the biggest – one of the biggest hurdles for me uh, mentally to figure out while planting this farm is there are agricultural zones, um, basically the way they break down how long your winter is, how low your temperature can get in the winter, when your first frost is. Um, And Michigan is a zone six, um, give or take, and so is Massachusetts. So I've always been farming kind of in the same area, which basically all that means is – I know when I normally put onions in the ground, all the farms I've been at. I know when we plant potatoes. I know when we plant tomatoes um, based on those weather conditions. And this farm is zone seven. Um, One number difference shouldn't be that big of a difference. And it's not really, um, but it's enough to throw everything kind of off a little bit. um, How far south does zone seven go? You know, it probably goes – I mean, so there's 7A, 7B. So then 8A, 8B. So there's – you know. And so I think we're 7A here. Um, it's it's there's a lot of topography, so we might be a little bit. I don't actually know what our elevation is here, um, but basically it means everything is a month, kind of a month earlier. Um, so at another farm, you know, we would put onions in in early to mid-April, and that was kind of risky. You know, there's still frost chances, um, but you can you can do stuff about about it. You plant your cold-hardy stuff, whatever mm-hmm. here. Um, like mid-March will be kind of when I start putting stuff in the ground. So it's not far away. Um, which is I've, bonkers. I'd, do you have how many inches of snow on the ground right now? <laughs> there's like four, four and a half with like a quarter inch layer of ice under it all. Yeah. Um, you which have is significantly more snow than we do actually. Really? Or it's, north, it's, yeah. bizar- I mean, if anyone who's been watching the news, it's bizarre. The storm was crazy. That's hit everywhere. Um, you know, yep. But so this is not a normal occurrence for them. I mean, I've been talking to the neighbors who've lived here for 30 years. They said, you know, this used to happen. Like this happens like every 10 years, basically. Right. Uh, and I was like, oh, this, this is great. This is like Michigan. Um, love <laughs> yeah, you it. I feel like you're at home. So, <laughs> so um, that's to say, no, nothing is in the ground yet. Um, I could bore you with all the little details of the things I have been doing. Um, we'll, save, one, we'll save that for episode two, maybe. Yeah. We're getting we can, yeah, can set the table right now. We'll dig into the meal uh, a little bit later. Yeah, perfect. So yeah. that's – I think that's basically up to date on on me where I'm at. I'm living in a tiny house on the farm. Um, cool. Stinking cute. <laughs> stinking cute. Wow. Stinking cute. For those – for all the longtime listeners know that I previously lived in a house that was built in like 1690. Yeah, you had the ghosts of revolutionary, revolutionary soldiers in it. In it. Mm-hmm. I was in your basement. And I saw it. Yeah, I know. You're lucky you made it back up. I know. <laughs> Um, so this house a little bit, a little bit newer, uh, maybe 318 years newer, um, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> which nice. is nice. You know, yeah. it's not as many spooky sounds, um, less dust. So I'm moving on up is basically what I'm saying.
0: I remember we were one of our last conversations in episode in season two was, um, your mouse count, um, within yes. your, your house. Yeah. Uh, do you mm-hmm. currently have a mouse count going on?
1: Um, no, I don't. There's zero mice so far that I've seen any signs of. I haven't put any traps yeah. out, but um haven't needed to. Yeah. I will say mystery weird smell count is one. <laughs> um, what kind of smell? You know, it, it's, it's – I can tell it's coming from the drain in the kitchen. I've had Steve are kind of like – construction guy who's on the site doing other things come over and look at it before but he lost his sense of smell when he was younger so he's like i don't i can't <laughs> tell you exactly <laughs> the smell. So he's like you know i can tell you what things it would normally be and you know we checked to see if it was like this mm-hmm. the septic smell coming back up or something is there a leak somewhere I haven't figured it out yet i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do a good old fashioned just uh you know cleanse on the <laughs> just on the sink the drain drain Drano cleanse Basically, and then hope I will. You
0: know away what, you know what this, uh, what it is, what you're experiencing is actually a feature of your house. And what it is, mm-hmm. is it's um, designed to help you know if you ever catch COVID. If you oh, ever, okay. if you ever n- can't smell your weird smell, that's, then that means yeah. you have COVID. That's a COVID feature. Yep. I didn't know they offered that now. Yep. Yep. Pretty yeah. handy.
1: Okay. Man, that's, uh, see, I learned something as well. Um, so I try to yeah. bring a little bit of knowledge to every episode. I appreciate it, Mm. even if it's not right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You will learn something. It just might be wrong. Yep. Um, Well, Sam, it's your turn. People have heard enough about me, about about farming. Um, I mean, the same questions apply, but you have a little bit more of a... I have a long Rural career. I gotta like,
0: con- I've got to condense it, otherwise, you yeah, mine will be twice as long because I'm twice as basically. old as you. Basically, that's true. I'm that's not, true twice, not twice as
1: old. <laughs> that's not how math works. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> you have ten more years of of stories that you have to condense down. Um, okay, but I can you do know, it. basically, how did you get to where you are now? Mm-hmm. Um, and talk us through. For me personally, I know all your schooling background, but mm-hmm. you were a man of many many years of school. (laughs) How did those kind of lead you to what you're, what you're doing now? And what, you know, I guess you kind of said what you're doing now, but I didn't really get into it, but I can maybe a little
0: bit more detail because it is kind of weird. Uh, so I went to college, Bowling Green State University, 2005 to 2009. I graduated to be a high school history teacher and government and economics. And 2009, Uh, For those who remember way back then, was a rough time to find a full-time job Uh, right in the midst of the Great Recession, especially things were pretty bad in Southeast Michigan, which is where I moved back to after undergrad, and I did not find – if you think about how kind of like the school labor market works is, you know, schools start up in the fall and then – If you don't get a job by early fall, then you're probably not gonna get a full-time job. So that first hiring season, I did not get a full-time teaching job, uh, which was a super bummer. And what I decided to do was substitute teach because that's the obvious thing to do when you have a teaching degree and you don't have a teaching job. And substitute teaching is just as bad as you would think it is. Uh, <laughs> I, and it wasn't even, I didn't even do the worst version of it. I did the version where I did 80% of my substitute teaching at the high school that I went to. So I knew all the teachers and I knew the building and I kind of knew how things worked. In fact, I had multiple brothers going to school in that school. Yeah, um, I was so, so it was pretty um, straightforward and easy you weren't in middle school a, yet, were you? No. no. Louie and Joey were. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what, how long school? did you stay? But you had a long- uh, I did little, some
1: middle school. You did. You were my my Spanish. Yes. My oh, time. I taught you so
0: much <laughs> Spanish.
1: Uh, so you, much
0: Spa- I remember that vaguely. Didn't I actually try to, like, read Spanish word? Like, I, your your, your teacher left right. me, like, an actual Spanish lesson to do. I don't speak she didn't any know Spanish. It
1: she yeah.
0: It was terrible. See, this is why substitute <laughs> teaching is the worst. Um so I substitute you taught stick that it first out. year. No. <laughs> well, I mean it, I didn't like quit right away or anything. Um so that first year I substitute taught and while I was doing that I had started a website where I was writing about like personal development stuff cuz I just found it interesting and I needed a I needed a project other than waking up every day and seeing whether or not I was substitute teaching. Um cuz you don't really feel like you're building anything long term when you're doing that and I I needed that So I was actually spending most of my time building this website um, and doing a decent job of actually like building up a readership around, as I said, personal development. And I was really into minimalism at the time. So I was part of this early minimalism blogger movement, um, which was cool. Um, And ultimately, I ended up spending more of my time doing that and was bringing in a little bit of money through that project. Um, But that whole first year, I substitute taught second Summer comes around, I go to look for a full-time job again, and again, it, like, falls through. Um, and I do not get a, a job that second time around either. Now I'm super disillusioned with the idea of being a teacher. And I did eventually get a, um, like, kind of a long-term subbing job. So I was in uh, the, the same position for, like, three, like, actually almost four months.
1: But even that, that, yeah. You subbed for so two total years, right? I believe – unless I'm like totally messing no, up on no, this. because I think I, think I was right. in high school. I think my freshman year, you may have had your long terms. Oh, no, no. I was i was told in eighth Well, grade here. Let's do, little, let's do a little math here. So I because, graduated
0: in the spring of 2009. So yeah. that meant – yeah, so that's – yeah. So that first fall was 2009 and then mm-hmm. 2000 – so 2010, I didn't go to grad school. I started grad school in 2011, in the fall of 2011.
1: So yeah, I had two years of trying to like yeah. be a teacher. One of, those my, one of those was my freshman year. Gotcha. Freshman year, because we used to carpool occasionally. Oh yeah, or I would ride did. with you to school.
0: Yeah, so I, I substitute. I did that emergency subbing, which was terrible because <laughs> I came in expecting to do one day, and that's fine. Like that's what substitute teaching is. And then very frequently, you know, the teacher you're subbing for is like really sick, and they need you to come in a second day. That's fine. Most teachers have like two or three days of substitute plans ready to go. Totally fine. After that second day, they're like, actually, can you finish out the week? And at this point, I'm getting a little like, hmm, this Uh is is a little uh uh-oh. And then (laughs) eventually that turned into, hey, can you finish the semester and maybe just finish and and start the next semester and just go until like April? And um, I said yes, because I'm a fool. And you needed work
1: as well, though. You, I mean, right? Like you wanted to work. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, exactly. Like I wanted to yeah. make
0: money. Yeah. Um, you know, at that time, I ha- I had moved out at that point and was living mm-hmm. in my awesome studio basement illegal apartment with a roommate. What up, Josh? Um, <laughs> but I needed to make some money, and my website was certainly not making enough to to cover all of that. Um, so I did that. It was terrible. There was nothing was, prepared for me. Every day I was e- right? economics, government, and there was a history class in there. At least it was not Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, at least it wasn't Spanish. Um, but well, you saying. know, as a you know, your first year of teaching is always rough and and bad. Um, but it's even worse when you have like no time to prep and like you're just behind. I was I was behind the eight ball. Every day for like three months and coming yeah. home after an entire exhausting day of, of teaching, having to prep three classes and or four classes. And it was just bad. And at during the near the end of that, I decided that I did not want to be a teacher, but I had no plans as to what else I should do. And I had become very interested. I had kept my website up this whole time. And I realized what I had been writing about was this thing called positive psychology. And I learned that there was a graduate program in positive psychology in Claremont, California. And it was actually run by a guy who wrote a book that really like kind of like, opened up my eyes to this discipline. The book was called Flow. And his name is Dr. Csikszentmihalyi. And I decided on a whim, like, hey, let's see if I can even get into grad school. I didn't really think I'd be able to because I didn't have a psychology background at all. And all I've been doing was really subbing for the past couple of years. But what I did have was this website with, at that point, probably 75 articles, most of them about kind of positive psychology sort of thing. So it was enough to get me in. I decided to take a truly astronomical student loan um, uh, out, and I went to grad school in California, started that in 2011. And I did a master's degree in positive developmental psychology with no real plan as to how I was going to use it other than vaguely thinking I'd get into some sort of coaching potentially, because that's kind of where my website had led me into. Um, And I had done, I forgot to even talk about the fact that I was coaching a hockey team during that time, as well as part of my substitute teaching university of Detroit mercy. Um, So I was just really interested in like in, in human development and human potential and like how people get good at things essentially. So I went to grad school for that. While I was in grad school, I really fell in love with the topic, and I became and your really, fiance, yeah, that's true. I met Emily. There, um, she was not my fiance at the time, but yes, yeah. met met Emily there. She graduated the same year from high school, but was a year ahead of me in the grad program. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we should have her on to just talk about you know what what like how how I caught her eye. Yeah, um, you know,
1: I'm I'm wondering based on how you dressed.
0: I can't wait to hear uh, what it was. We should. Well, um, <laughs> Anyway, I'll I'll fast forward this. We're almost to the end. Actually, no, we're not. We're in 2013. I'll go faster. (laughs) Uh, I, I, I applied to the PhD program, Positive Organizational, so I switched from the developmental program to the organizational program because I kind of realized that if you wanted to have an impact on people's lives, most people, if they're healthy and lucky, spend most of their time at work, and I had seen plenty of people have working experiences that weren't great and we're really dehumanizing. And I thought a lot of the positive psychology research could really be applied to organizations in interesting ways. So I started a company with one of my PhD colleagues, Jeff, and we started doing some small kind of organizational interventions with our company called Outlier Consulting Group. And um, that was basically my plan was to finish my PhD, start this uh, company, and then slowly build it over time. Um, and uh One day, though, I became aware of a company called Undercurrent. Um, Somebody, some other consultant that I had done some independent work with got to know me and he, I don't even know how he stumbled across the the website, but he knew it would resonate with me. So he sent me Undercurrent's website and I read it and it was like this quasi religious moment for me where I was like, holy crap, (laughs) like this company is doing exactly what I want to do and I've never seen anybody else write about work and consulting in this way, and this is exactly what I wanna do, except they're like seven years ahead of me, and I now need to go work for them. Like I need to figure out how to get them to hire me. And up yeah. to that point, like I was studying independent workers and entrepreneurship, and the running joke is that I would never work for an organization. Obviously, like I was the mm-hmm. most like fiercely independent person in our graduate program, and like overnight, I was like, I need to work for this organization. <laughs> um, so that took nine months of me like being um, vaguely around and inserting myself into their online conversations and just like becoming known to them before they eventually relented and let me fly out to New York to interview
1: with them. I What's mean, like, you should. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk more about that in the future, because like, that's. I mean, it's kind of like the stories you always hear about on those. Like, half the time it's on like the cooking things, where they're like, "I just sat at the restaurant and sat in the lobby until they like hired me to wash dishes, <laughs> so I could be at this restaurant." And then like, that's kind of what you did. Like, you sort kind of, sort of, like,
0: yeah, not I, like to that extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, I you mean,
1: sitting there, but you you kind of brought yourself up to them. Like you, you know, yeah,
0: right? I mean, basically, I followed.
1: You. I've. Everyone who worked at Undercurrent
0: who I could find online and any of them who had Twitter accounts I followed them all on Twitter so I could see mm-hmm. like what sorts of things they were talking about and what they cared about and just like started participating in those conversations, I started writing a lot more targeted articles on topics um, that I knew would be interesting <laughs> to them so that they they would just start seeing my name in like smart things that they would hopefully be sharing internally. So by the yeah. f- time they finally um, invited me out, and the first phone call I ever had with them was with, uh, was with one of their managing directors. And he was like, yeah, you just don't have enough experience right now. So like, you know, talk to me um, after you get some more experience. So I did. I spent those nine months with Jeff, like trying to I'd do as many like, actual projects as possible so i could talk to about like real client experience eventually though i flew out there i um yeah we could get, go into more depth i'd made a website called like sam goes to undercurrent.com and i had read every book that was like mentioned on their website and wrote a report on everyone uh you were like the
1: biggest fag girl ever dude I,
0: it worked it worked they hired yeah, me oh no, it did i uh so i moved from l.a Um, I didn't drop out of the PhD program, just moved from LA to New York, um, and then three weeks later, Undercurrent went out of business, Uh, um, which is a whole story in itself, and it's not really relevant, Um, but there there were some dark moments in that as I sat – basically, I moved into my apartment in West Harlem on the day that we all got laid off, and I (laughs) – this sounds like a joke, but it's very true. So I listened to the phone call where we all got laid off um, mm-hmm. while I was in the back of an Uber going to my very empty studio apartment in this just shithole building and yep. get into my apartment. I'm like sitting there. I'm exhausted. It's it's the middle of the summer. It's really hot. I have, I have no groceries. I have no silverware or dishes or anything. I just have mm-hmm. a couple of bags with my stuff in it. And I, um, I'm feeling pretty sad, and and Emily's still in L. A. So like we're doing a long distance thing. I order some uh, delivery Indian food using like DoorDash or, or whatever it oh, was at the a, time. That's a bold move. Yeah, and they deliver it um, with no silverware, silverware. no plasticware oh, no. at all. And How Indian does hands? not generally lend itself well to eating with to like you need you need utensils with that. Yeah. It's it's kind of mushy um mm-hmm. so i luckily i ordered a piece of naan with it so i used my naan very sparingly but eventually got down to a point where i was standing over the sink eating indian food with my hands in my empty apartment <sighs> on the day we got laid off
1: this needs to be a show that was the, <laughs> that hurt to listen to yeah it was
0: bad <laughs> eventually though i like i freelance. luckily in the three weeks i was at undercurrent i we i saw the writing on the wall i made myself useful to a client team right away. I actually spent one of those weeks in London Mm -hmm. with them. Um, But when we all got laid off, we got hired by the client, Pepsi, uh, to continue the work. So I did like some freelance work for a month and a half so that I had some money coming in. And then in that meantime, I was trying to find a full-time job. And Aaron, um, the, the CEO, the founder of Undercurrent, had started a new company called The Ready. And then I um, joined him as the first employee at the Ready in September of uh, five years ago, or five and a half years ago, whatever year that was, twenty fifteen. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I yep. think so. And then we, just, started our, we started both of our journey. Well, not necessarily. But twenty fifteen was when I started my farming. Yeah, started to work on cool. farms. And that and that just shows how much school I did. <laughs> 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 Basically.
0: That's, that's, so no, that's true. From so, so yeah, the ready Aaron started it a couple weeks later. I joined him. Um, you know, we're up to like 20-ish people now. We've gone through lots of different kind of phases at this point. We were all in New York for a while, and then Aaron moved to Colorado when we fully embraced this like distributed work model where we have no offices anymore and we all work remotely. I'm in DC now. We have people kind of spread out across uh, the mm-hmm. country and in Europe. Um, and we have been doing, I've gotten to work with a handful of really cool clients. Um, I've been at this one now for over two years. Um, and I can't, I probably could use their name, but I'm not going to, it's just simpler, Mm -hmm. um, to, to do it that way, just to not get myself in any trouble. Um, but it's, it's, a huge, uh, organization. Um, and we basically help really large organizations, uh, reduce bureaucracy and, um, become better places to work both, in the sense of like their uh, ability to make money and and be profitable, but also for the human beings who uh, show up every day and have to work in these organizations. So I get to use my positive psychology background and my interest in personal development, um, but apply it to an organizational setting. And really, um, the thing that I didn't talk about at all yet is that we are really trying to push kind of the state of the art forward in terms of organizational models, um, self-management, uh, empowerment, autonomy, um, trying to really challenge what it means, uh, for an organization to be an organization. Like, does it have to be hierarchical? Do you have to draw like a traditional org chart or are there different, more human ways to organize, um, human effort. And um, the ready itself is a self managing uh, organization, which we can certainly go into more detail later about what that actually means. Um, Mm -hmm. But we try to bring those same principles to these really bureaucratic uh, organizations. And I've been doing this now for five and a half years. And I love it. And I dropped out of my PhD program a year into the ready because I was killing myself with trying to build a company and also do my PhD. And my PhD was always a means to an end, uh, and that was to do this type of work. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was lucky to find a different path to doing it. That was really long.
1: I'm sorry. That's a, mine was long too. No, okay. this is a long episode. Okay. We're just this is the introduction. You know, That's right. we gotta we gotta get all the knowledge out there. If you're mm-hmm. not gonna listen to the 36 previous episodes, That's 37, yeah, yeah. If the you're not gonna listen, we're
0: saving you literally hundred, uh, maybe a hundred <laughs> hours of of work by with one little bit longer episode. I think you over
1: uh, you overestimate
0: how long those episodes were. <laughs> yeah, so thirty six. Yeah, no, most of them were like less than an hour. So
1: yeah, thirty six hours. We That's saved you a day. Three days. <laughs> Did you just think a day was thirty six hours, Max? No, I was thinking more like. Tw- you said three days. Oh, oh no! Yeah. Oh my! Oh my god! <laughs> I'm so I know it's late, man. I'm so tired. Twelve hour days. Sam's on a different. Season. This is a thing that the ready <laughs> does. People do oh, this. The ready. You guys believe in twelve hour days? Shut up, Ed. Just shut up. <laughs> Just shut up. Well, Luckily, I think that was a good sign that it to end because same the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Fields of work. We're going to talk about work. I I talk about work for a living, and you work and oh, for a living, and, and <laughs> it makes it sound like what I do is not work. I mean, it's not yeah. work in the sense that I'm not you know sticking my hands in the ground for
1: no reason. But I like to I like to think that I you know work decently hard. I mean it seems like you do. You know, none of us know cuz you're far away but that's true. We assume you're working.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, and
1: and me working, you could if you were just
0: a, a third party observer watching me work, it would look a lot like me just sitting in front of a computer all day. At least now, back in the day, I used to travel a lot, which was fun, and you you're, get to do that. You're a plane hopper. You're on pine that adults. corporate, that corporate lifestyle of
1: of you know flying a lot. But
0: I don't know if that'll ever come back. I kind of hope it does because I, I that was one reason I liked doing what I do. But
1: yeah, anyway, I think it will to some extent. To some extent, probably. Not anytime super soon. Should we uh, should we button this one up? We should button it up. I feel like this is a pretty solid uh, introduction. And, and I think we can we can say more confidently this time that there will be more episodes coming. There won't be mysterious long breaks um, without hopefully us giving you some idea. That's right. Um, We're really professionalizing we can- over here. Yeah, we're gonna try and make this uh, at least a little bit more streamlined. Obviously, the episodes are very similar to what they used to be, but hopefully, we um, will be more consistent. I mean, they may um, actually be worse audio-wise, but hey, might be. You know, hey, you know what? That's
0: that's just what that's just what happens. Uh, do us a favor if you are a longtime listener and you have enjoyed the show up to this point. Maybe share it with a friend. That'd be cool. And if you are a first-time listener, hey, thanks, thanks for hanging out with us for for fifty however minutes. Uh, hope you stick around. All right, this is uh, this has been Fields of Work. I've been Sam. I've been Max. All right, see you later. See ya.